It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to seboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy, and good morning to everybody. Uh, this is our weekly sort of gathering roundtable for IOs, HR recruiters, and all of those of the rest of us who are involved with the helping people in business um, programs and agencies. Uh, Jeremy, uh, we had a really good discussion last week uh, when we were looking at you know more leadership, but we're going to actually look about onboarding today and how to build and implement an effective employee onboarding program. You know, my experience is that nobody really has an effective onboarding program. At least I've never discovered anybody who really does. Um, It's here, look at this paperwork and uh, we'll give you today to do it and tomorrow you're off and running. Um, I love the notion that I'm hearing in this group of onboarding should take a year because that's (laughs) really what it's gonna take. Uh, But this was another topic suggested, was it not? It was. It was another topic suggested. Uh, I don't recall who. I might buy the end of this time to give credit to that person. It's one of those uh, elusive things. It's always on the back burner having an effective onboarding program because it's one of those things that it's hard to it's hard for companies to sit down and say, look, what's the return on investment if we're really doing this? But there is a lot that a lot to be said. When you're looking at onboarding, um, just some some of the statistics that we've heard on and on and on about turnover, um, and it all starts like how do we build effective uh, affective uh, commitment from from an employee? An affective commitment is that emotional attachment to the organization, right? Where you have normative, you feel uh, uh, obligated. Look, they gave me a job, so I'm gonna I'm gonna work here. I'm gonna do my thing or continuous. If I leave, I don't get my benefits. But how do we really get employees attached emotionally and get to romanticize a little bit about that company? And it all starts with the onboarding program. Uncertainty is the biggest thing, one of the biggest derailers that help that keep employees from hitting the ground running. And organizations can do a lot. But, you know, there's a lot. I have a lot of specific things to share today during the discussion about very specific action items that employee employers can can implement, and they're not that hard to start to take away some of that uncertainty, but also to to give the new employees uh, the networking that they need, um, the understanding of look, I can come and I can do some challenging work, which is one of the big drivers for success 
for people and organizations is that ability to do challenging work. So there's a lot that we're going to talk about today, and I'm excited. But why is it not happening? I mean, you know, if I'm a company and I need somebody, I need somebody to get to work. So when I think of onboarding, I'm thinking of, geez, if I'm hiring somebody, I need them to start tomorrow. And maybe in a month or so, we can start the onboarding process. But I don't have time for that. So <laughs> how do you defeat that argument? You know, if if, if it is a matter of that, that kind of a thing, there, there that might not be too bad. If the employer, in, in my view, if the employer can actually stick to, okay, look, start, we're going to get you run and we need you. And then in a month, we're going to get you settled in. You know, there might that might not be too bad because there is an amount of good there is an amount of good stress involved. And there can be some excitement there and that can aid in the learning curve. So that's not too bad. But again, it's, you know, is it like telling your friend you're going to go canoeing in, in two weeks and then two weeks comes and oh let's push it back. So if an employer can stick to it, fine. Um, but it's it's important and it does take socialization to an organization takes at least a year. And we've talked about this before. Most of the studies, all the academic literature will tell you six to six months to 12 months, six months to 12 months. But how long are most onboarding programs? Maybe five days, maybe a week. But you look at what it is, it's actually socialization to an organization, to the values, to the norms, to the networking, to the who's, to the what's. And I'm a big fan of, and maybe... Maybe it's a topic for uh, for another week. Re-socialization, re-onboarding to a program to to an organization. I did a study on this a while back, an actual study about reorienting people to an organization, people that have been there three, five, 10, 15, 20 years. Because every time a new employee comes to the organization, that the culture of the organization changes, even if a little bit, and even if it's unfelt on a daily basis. But when you have these uh, small shifts, they end up being major shifts and employees who um, you know, aren't getting out, have their head down, they might not know what are the new things and how can we reattach that person emotionally to the organization. So that might be a topic for another time. Back to you, Tom. Well, let's go ahead right over to you, Linda Ann. I'm going to take a little bit of issue with um, Jeremy on saying that it can be delayed for a month because yeah. I think the how and the feedback I've received from employees is um, the, how you do that initial stuff and how you socialize them right from the get go makes a huge difference to them. I think one of the issues in my mind is that employers often confuse orientation with onboarding and they're different, right? Learning how to turn your computer on or whatever that is, or where the time clock is, or however that kind of thing is, that's, that's an orientation. Onboarding is different. Orientation can take half a day, two days, you know, maybe in some larger companies or for some, org, uh, some jobs, it can take up to a week. But the onboarding process is different, is it's more full scope. The orientation process is just part of your onboarding. So did I give rebuttal, Tom? So, this, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, so no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with Linda Ann. So I'm, I'm thinking of it like this. So let's say that you, uh, let's say that you've just been, um, you just started work with a construction company and you're working on, you know, you're like, all right, we're working on this commercial building. You already have these skills. You know, we're going to, you're going to go hand in hand and you're going to hit with your manager, hit with your crew for, for one month. And you're just going to hit the ground running and do all these 
things that are necessary because we need you desperately right now. And then once this project comes to a close, which we expect in 30 days, this is my mindset. Once we expect in, in 30 days, that's when we're going to, we're going to slow the pace down. We're going to introduce you to people in the organization. We're going to look at your career path within the organization. So that's what I'm saying. Like it can be d- delayed in that particular sense with the onboarding and we're on the right page with uh, you know, we're talking here today about onboarding, not your orientation and, and your paperwork. We're talking about that extra part. So, but I agree with you, Linda, and on that, except for the other part, which may be not the other part. And I'm going to go in a circle back to you, Tom. Uh, and and I'm, I might bring this up again because I think I need some clarification on the two because I think I've been oriented but not onboarded. But Dr. Martha, let's go to you first. Well, we started off running, didn't we? Uh, there is so much that needs to be considered when we talk about onboarding. Tom, like you, I don't think I've seen an excellent onboarding program yet. And I think a lot of employers, especially smaller companies and family-owned businesses, miss the boat on this because this is so much more than just filling out new employee paperwork. This is an opportunity for a company to kind of put their best foot forward and um, set a tone as that employee moves forward within the organization. So it starts with preparation prior to that person's first day. Let First of all, let other people know that you hired someone. I've seen this time and again, somebody shows up, nobody knows they were coming. Um, make sure that they have a workstation, make sure their technology needs are met before they even show up so they can start working. When they do show up, Who's going to greet them? Who's going to show them around? Who's going to introduce them? And I'm not sure what Jeremy meant about delaying introducing people to others within the organization. That sounded a little odd. There's a stranger that shows up and does work. Nobody knows who they are. <laughs> but maybe, maybe you can clarify that. But what? <laughs> but the bottom line is that there is so much that goes into it. There needs to be proper pre-planning and proper execution. And it really gives the organization an opportunity for um, setting a tone and and putting their best foot forward, which I think then affects the relationship between that new employee and that organization. And, you know, I hope hope this is changing, but the mindset I see out there right now, I don't think companies care that much about their employees. Mm -hmm. I think basically they just want to, you know, bring in a warm body to fill a position. Um, and hopefully that changes. And I think we're in the process. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. Yeah. You know, first I want to say, uh, I've been that guy who showed up and nobody knew was coming. So, uh, and believe it or not, believe it or not in the Navy, I showed up and they didn't know I was coming because (laughs) the guy who knew I was coming, didn't tell anybody. And then he went on leave (sighs) and I, I sat for half a day just waiting for somebody to come and get me because uh, I had to go into a secure space and they have to do all kinds of stuff that we don't need to get into. So, yeah, it stinks. Don't do that. You know, zero stars. Do not recommend. Um, now, I will say that uh, I think that that uh, whoever was that said this earlier, uh, I think most people have a, a, a an orientation and they call it onboarding. I think that very, very few people actually do any kind of onboarding because uh, we just don't, we don't take the time. We don't take, and, and I don't understand it. And I think that's where we're at one place where we, as a, as a, as a group, as a, as an industry could, could really help here, because I don't think that these people even understand what they're talking about. Um, 
you know, and another thing, you know, just kind of on the on the orientation part, I've also I've worked for for people who have sent me stuff before I was on the payroll saying, hey, fill out all this stuff, do all this training. Well, wait a minute. You're not paying me for this. This is my time, you know, and doing stuff, you know, off hours when you're actually salaried or something is one thing. Doing it before you even are on the payroll is something else entirely. Uh, not setting a good tone. Uh, but I do agree with, I think you said it, Tom, that people, that the companies just don't care because I mean, right now, what is the, what is the, the average term for people right now? A couple of years. So if, if I'm looking at it as this person's going to come in and they're going to work for a couple of years and they're going to go on and I'm going to be starting all over again, I may not be as, as uh, invested in trying to keep that person and which I think is totally short-sighted and the wrong thing. Um, also, I will say that Part of the reason that we, uh, you know, like for the delay that came up earlier, mo most companies hire in an emergency. You know, it's usually not planned. Somebody quit. I got to replace them. There's no succession planning. And even with new positions, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Oh, they finally approved it. So I need to hire somebody to, you know, I need them to start yesterday. And so we don't actually give ourselves as an organization time to, to do it. And I think if we were to slow the, the whole process down, we were to actually do a little bit more more planning forward. And oh, Jeremy's got something. Look at there. Yeah, um, he put his hand up. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he doesn't ever normally do that. Wow, I, I must have really had a key. Um, you know, if we were to do some actual succession planning and give ourselves time to bring somebody in to actually do all these things. I mean, you know, and I tell you, you know, you know, you. You ask a lot of times about my military experience. One of our biggest problems is you can't do anything for the first month you're, you're anywhere because you don't have access to anything. It just takes that long to run the paperwork. It is kind of ridiculous, actually. And, and uh, so I guess our, we have time to onboard because you're not doing anything else. So uh, there's that. But uh, anyway, I think I've thrown enough uh, grenades in the tent, so I'll give it back to you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Linda Ann and Dr. Jeremy, I see your hands up. Jeremy put his hands down. I mean, you know, hold on. Before before Devin adds on to the pylon, I guess I should. I, I so to clarify, I'm not saying put someone like on the job site on the on the construction site per se, and then don't tell anyone who you are. I'm saying go ahead and work on that project, but I'm talking about the bigger picture can wait. So the bigger picture being, look, we're gonna we're gonna you're gonna work. Of course, we'll introduce you to the people that you're working with on this particular job site. This is the supervisor. This is the form. This is the person. But in 30 days, for example, that's when we're gonna take you back to corporate. We're gonna introduce you to the admins, to the learning facilitators, to the CEO. Then we're gonna talk about, we're gonna sit down when we have time to digest. And we're gonna talk about your career path. We're gonna talk about the past 30 days. We're gonna talk about networking. We're gonna get you paired up with a mentor. I'm saying those kinds of things can wait. And let's face it, those kinds of things aren't happening anyway in a lot of companies now at all. So what's the harm in saying, all right, Let's get some camaraderie here. Being thrown in the deep end is not a bad idea. In fact, there's research that shows that being thrown in the deep end for a, can actually spark, help someone with their leadership. So when you have someone throw them in the deep end, that can increase their leadership ability and help the learning curve. So on the job site, the same thing might happen. So that that's that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying, and I love, I love what you said with the Seinfeld episode, because there are like three or four that emulate that, Tom. Um, so that's with the clarification. And um, back to you, Tom. All right, Devin, you're shot to take a blow at Jeremy. 
Thanks. I wasn't going to pile on. I'm, I'm too nice for that. Um, what I was going to do, though, was I think we're a lot of us are saying the same thing. And I think what it boils down to ultimately is accountability and who's driving these programs. So whether it's the orientation of the couple of days of getting your computer set up, your machinery set up, whatever it is, and then the onboarding of making you feel part of the community, who's who is accountable for that? And that, and I, someone wrote in there about communicating effectively. And um, I do think ultimately though, it boils down to HR is the driver um, because they're the ones that are going to be saying, Hey manager, did you do a 30 day check-in with your employee? Did you do a 90 day check-in with your employee? Are you starting to set goals? Are you, you know, keeping the process moving and who's responsible for what did you integrate them in with this team. Um, and then doing those check-ins of like, where can HR then help facilitate with training and development? Where are their areas for opportunity? But it has to be driven. And, and that's going to come from the foundation of, of that accountability. And um, I mean, ultimately, you know, I don't want, I don't like HR to have to take on the responsibility of the management per se, because I think that onboarding piece the manager has to own it. The manager has to say, I want to make this a successful onboarding experience for this employee and I'm committed and I want to manage you and I want this to be a long-term relationship. But the manager needs help from HR in driving those processes to make sure that they happen. Uh, well, thank you for that. And uh, Linda Ann, do you agree? Is our HR, are you driving the bus? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, there are extensive checklists. with me, not with Jeremy. There's extensive checklists, and I have some. If anybody wants, just let me know, and I can give you a couple of checklists. But one of the things that that first with um, regard to responsibility and accountability, I use the checklist to include things like is the person invited to the right meetings? Have you put them on that, that, that group list or whatever, making sure all those things happen. But one of the things I did with the checklist is there it's in sort of like chronological order and, and so forth. But part of it is response is the employee's responsibility to make sure all those things have happened, right? There's some pre pre um, start that, that might need to happen and so forth, but they need to, make sure that, oh, I didn't get oriented for it. My manager hasn't done X. So I need to go to my manager and make sure he's created that appointment with me and trained me on X. I would collect, they had to turn that checklist into me and it became part of their file. And so they had a guide to make sure that they were oriented. Not only was it other people's responsibility, but they had a guide to make sure that they had been properly oriented. In addition to that, we set up what we called an internal mentor. It's kind of an orientation mentor. They were assigned a buddy, right? At, at the day that they came in. And that buddy was responsible for making sure that, you know, they had any questions answered. And I always called it for the first two weeks, it's your thousand question a day person where every time, where are the pencils, where are the, whatever you're turning around and, and they're there to answer those questions and they're willing to accept those responsibilities. But they also make sure that you're, when they go to lunch, you're invited to the lunch and you're not sitting alone at your desk, you know? Um, and it, so I have a whole outline for what that person does, that, that internal mentor. And 
that does two things. One, it makes sure that they are the the employee doesn't feel abandoned. Like here you go, and uh, that can happen on the job site. It can happen in an office, whatever. And in addition, it also helps them decide to some degree is is this kind of management employee interaction something I enjoy doing? And if so, it can give them, you know, dipping a toe into any kind of management process that they might be interested in. So it served a couple different purposes. And that's a whole lot to lay on the table. Well, let me ask you, because I will describe what I have gone through recently. Was I orientated? Was I onboarded? But likely, you know, uh, after accepting a position, you know, the email comes a few days before I start with, oh, by the way, can you fill out these forms? So I'm already filling out, you know, the forms before I get there. Uh, once I get there, I have maybe a half hour meeting with HR. Uh, then I'm sent over to my office and, oh, by the way, here's the training you need to do. There's a hundred plus documents to read, mostly policy. And then there is, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then there's about 20 training videos on things like harassment. Um, and that is the end. And, oh, by the way, this is your first day. Why don't you get all that done today? Which is not going to happen. Uh, you know, it took me over a week to go through all of that documentation, but that was it. I mean, when it came to pencils, yeah, you know, we have a receptionist who can tell me where the pencils are, but that was the entire process. Was that done well? That's an orientation, and it wasn't even an orientation done well. <laughs> so, how, so how do I go to my HR and go, you know, this could have been better? It's time to listen to this episode, Tom. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up. Um, I, I think <laughs> one of the, the, the key things that we need to tell employers is that employee retention not only starts, you know, once they have come on board, but it starts beforehand, how you even recruit them. But this is the first introduction to really, how are you going to retain that employee? And what is it, what, how do they feel about your organization? So they need to look at it as part of their employee retention process. Well, then isn't it true? We have to get past that mentality now that people are working for an organization because of their paycheck. And that's the only motivation they need. Dr. Martha, let's go to you and Renwick, we're gonna to come to you next. Well, it is quite obvious to those of us who are in the field that a paycheck is only part of the motivation, right? Apparently, employers don't know that. But your experience is not unique, unfortunately, in that a lot of people have that first experience. I mentioned at the beginning that an effective onboarding program can be an opportunity for the organization to set a tone, to put their best foot forward. That was not the right tone. Um, you know, I also think it's, it's so important that HR does drive that bus, if you will, because oftentimes managers don't really know what they should be doing specifically. Um, a lot of times they're busy. They don't stop to, to interrupt what they're trying to accomplish to do that. And the other component that I think is important to bring into this conversation is what about virtual onboarding? How does that differ for folks? Maybe they started working in a virtual capacity and now they're moving on site. Do we need to do another onboarding? So I'd like to throw that out there, maybe um, have some opinions on that idea. 
Well, yeah, especially what happens if you're onboarding a new virtual employee who's in a different country? I mean, there there's go. lots more onboarding that you have to consider then. Uh, the culture in itself. Exactly. You know, that cultural aspect, because if you don't get that right, you're just going to have a lot of problems. <laughs> Could be trouble. Yeah. Renwick, let's go to you. Yeah, I raised my hand before uh, Dr. Martha um, and introduced the virtual onboarding idea. And I'll speak to that first. Um, you know, I, I happen to do some work with Lancaster University in the UK, and um, we, we do quite a lot virtually, um, including having social um, happy hour. Um, we, we consciously carve out time to have coffee or tea <laughs> or to, to have a, a, a beer or a pint and or to talk about dishes that, you know, someone who loves to prepare Indian dishes um, makes. So it's, it's a rich experience in which we share our personal lives from different parts of the globe. And it's amazing how we bond and how when we do get together in person, it's as if we were never separated by geography. Right. You know, so, so that's certainly one way to onboard people virtually. Um, and, and on that note, one of the, and this is the reason I raised my hand, there, there are a couple of observations that, that I've made over the years, one of which is much of the conversation by employers and by leaders and organizations focuses on what the organization wants or needs and how it's done there. And, and not enough about the most valuable asset, each and every member of the organization at each and every level. And, and, and so because of that, there seems to be a paucity of inquiry regarding what I, that new employee brings, what I want, what is required for me to be successful, what is going to allow me to live the life that I deserve and feel that I should be helped to have. And when and the time is given to understanding who I am and what I want and what matters most to me, then it's so much easier for me to want to help that organization succeed, to, to bring my best self, to comply where that's warranted and to make suggestions for modifications that would accelerate the success of that organization and each and every leader or person within it, then it becomes a way to collaborate in radical ways. And, and why is that? Because you started a conversation asking about me, what matters to me? And then you set about to help me achieve it in ways that are inextricably linked to what you as an organization and people within it want. I, I, you know, this is great. And I agree with this 100%. But <laughs> here's my but. How do we sell this to corporations? How do we sell to them? Because, you know, they're not thinking in that way. They're, they, you're absolutely right. They're thinking top down. This is what we as the organization want. How do we turn that paradigm so that when someone new is coming in, we focus on that individual and what they bring instead of the other way around? What's the messaging going back to communication that we've got to get to those leaders? Well, I know um, we, we've got to slow down. <laughs> we, 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 I think um, one way is to recognize that there is one persona, the authentic one. There's not Rennick at work dressed in his 
business suit or apparel with his business voice, and Rennick, who sits out in the pool deck in his dock sides. There is one true persona. And, and that's what we, I think, all of us could emphasize, to, could extract, could identify and communicate and express. And, and, and that allows for the conversation. And it's not they, those people who are in the organization, those leaders of companies or whatever type of organization, they're regular folk. And so let's cut through the facades to get to the essence. Who are you? What are you trying to get done? <laughs> and what, what are you struggling with? How can I step into your world and make it easier for you to get where you want to go? Remove the barriers. I mean, th- those, th- those are the real conversations that all of us enjoy because we get to where we want to be so much faster with so much fun. Uh-huh. And so that's a part of the puzzle. It's getting people to cut through, the, the, as they say, the, 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 the fakeness <laughs> and, and get real, even in a place of work. That is great advice. And just to share for a second, I'm, I'm, you know, doing some work with a small municipality. Boy, are the mayor and town councilors easy to approach. And I've, you know, been able to establish a relationship with many of them. And it's actually easier to get things done when you can talk to your counselor. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Lee, let's go to you. You know, I, I think the one thing that, that you can do just out of the gate is, uh, you know, the bottom line. Show them how much it costs to, to replace people. I mean, you know, the the I don't remember what the calculation is to to hire a new person and bring them in. And, uh, you know, when you lose the other person, not, not even counting the lost time and productivity, but it's, uh, it's quite a bit more than their salary. And so, you know, you can, you can show them that, that, Hey, you know, if we keep pushing people out the door, look at what it's costing us. Um, but the other side of that is that, uh, you know, remember just said, you know, the, the approachability of being a person and, uh, one of the best concepts I think I've ever seen is, uh, you know, I don't remember who came up with it, but the managing by walking around, you know, get out of the ivory tower, go down and see what's happening in the trenches, you know, go and talk to people. I mean, some of the best places I've worked is where the CEO comes by your desk and says, Hey, how are you? You know, they know your name, not just because you, there's a, there's a sign on your desk and you know, they know something about you. You know, hey, I heard that your your kid plays Little League. How's how's her team doing? You know that sort of thing, um, and and you know, team building events are kind of you know they're hit and miss. You know, we all talk about that, but social events is a totally different thing. Where let's let's bring everybody together and have a potluck. Let's uh, let's let's wrap it up early for the day and have a happy hour, and have the uh, the the opportunity to. 
to have a conversation. I mean, one of the most, um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the word, but I worked for a, a two-star admiral was the commanding officer of one of my, my things. I had to check in with him when I got there. You know, I was way junior and I sat in his office and had a conversation with him. We were at the Christmas party and he and his wife walked up to my wife and I and said, hey, are these seats taken? Can we sit with you? Absolutely. So we sat there and had conversation with, you know, someone very, very, very high up in the organization. And, um, you know, and just little things like that, like, you know, you know, we have fitness standards. So if you don't pass the fitness standards, there's a there's a remedial program that you get assigned to. The admiral would go. He would show up if he was in town and he would work out with them. Wow. And and, and Lord help the the officer who was supposed to be there who didn't show up. And you know, that is leadership by example. I mean, I, that, uh, I credit him in large part for the fact that I made a career out of it because, you know, you see that and you're inspired. You're like, wow, this guy actually cares about, you know, me who's way, 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 way down the list from him. And he could pass me in the hall and, and speak to me by my name, you know, out of the couple of hundred people that were there. Um, and if you can get people to actually get out of, you know, get away from the desk, get out of their office, and go by and talk to people. I mean, one of the most fascinating things, if you ever watched the undercover boss, you know, that will never work if you know who he is. And if you know who he is, it's not necessary. So, uh, but and, and, it, and it's all levels. Um, and even with HR, what, you know, I, my internship, when I came out of uh, uh, my IO program, uh, I worked at a plant. And part of my job was to walk around. You know, none of these guys work for me, but you know, I walked around. Hey, how's it going? What can we do for you? Are you having problems? Are you, you know, did you ever resolve that issue with your supervisor or your coworker or whatever? So that in HR, and then my job was to go back and tell the HR manager, hey, what's going on? And we could head off things that way. And they all knew who I was. They were comfortable coming to me. And they didn't see a us and them thing with us like you see so many times with the HR, uh, unfortunately. Um but yeah, you just, you can't put a value on that, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, one of the great things about the undercover boss was that it took away those layers and actually started, as Renwick was saying, some of those, you know, conversations that need, really need to occur. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go, for, go to you next. This is going to um, depend on the size of the organization, because as you get much larger, it's harder to do what I'm going to say. But as I would do, um, as recruitment takes place and you're actually getting in touch with the people who you're recruiting and going through that hiring process and becoming familiar, if you have real conversations um, with them, you find out more than just what their qualifications are. And so part of that initial introduction to the organization, when people would, when we would do, I always, this was in the days of, uh, of in-person <laughs> but we always had, I have a local bagelry here and that was really good bagel. So I always brought bagels in on the morning. Some people started, everybody would come down get their bagels. But I also knew who was in a bike club, who had a softball team, who was a hiker, who was a skier. And all of that happened through process and, and um, uh, becoming familiar with each person as they came on board. But I would always facilitate those introductions and that familiarity. Oh, and say, make sure that they knew that if they were a hiker, this person 
was a hiker and they do, you know, 10 mile hikes every week or whatever, so that they automatically started with some of that familiarity, some of that commonality that can really facilitate the, um, the comfort and the willingness to ask a question and cooperate. Yeah. Um, boy, things have got to change. And it sounds like you were on to something. So Jeremy, let me go to you next. Good. You got your hand up. Uh, a chance for you to redeem yourself. <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm hearing is most organizations really aren't doing onboarding. Those who kind of are, aren't doing it well. So what exactly should onboarding be? So one thing that comes to mind, especially with, with what everyone's talking about with the leadership by walking around and these other great points, there are plenty of introvert leaders and managers out there that are saying, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to do it. That's not me. I'm not really interested in their family. I'm not interested in the softball games. I'm not interested in what they did over the weekend. And it's just, it, it's, it's quite frankly, never going to happen. So what do we, what do we do about that? Yes. I mean, you can you know, pull yourself to become interested, but there's also a way for those, usually the, the more introverted people are, can still find interest in the, in the employee by talking to them about their, their work interests. So if you're an introvert out there listening, feel free to talk to the employees. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, what'd you do over the weekend? It can be what's one of your greatest achievements at work. It can be these, these easy, these easy questions to ask. But starts to you know ask questions about a particular project. What would you do here? Here's something I've been struggling with. So there's still ways. That way you can start to understand what their passions, ambitions, and talents are, and not have to worry about these you know you know schmoozing and rubbing elbows and that kind of thing. Because it's going to feel if it feels too uncomfortable, and you haven't yet gotten to that place where you can move yourself to that, you're probably not going to do it. So how do we make you know easy wins and, and baby steps? I do have a couple of. Uh, Self self check questions that that organizations can um, can uh, people you know running these onboarding programs can ask themselves. But the first thing, so for an effective onboarding program, keep these three things in mind. An effective onboarding program, again, onboarding, it's it, you're going to help, you're going to internalize the company values, you'll strengthen the employee's identification with the company, and again, working towards creating that affective commitment, which is an emotional attachment. And you're also going to increase pro social work behaviors. And that's going to be important, of course, for the team aspect of it. I've got about nine self-check questions uh, that, that, that are very important for, for people to ask. And they're easy. And they're ones that, you know, depend, you know, regardless of your style of interacting with others, you know, number one, what do you want your new hires to feel at the beginning, during, and end of their onboarding experience? And you can break that up. What do you want them to feel at the beginning now? And again, it's onboarding experience. It's not a transaction. It's an experience. The other important one is what do you want your new hires to be thinking about on their way home at the end of the day? Or if it's a virtual, once they log off, for example, at the end of the day. Likewise, let's, if you have someone who just started a job, they're likely excited. So what do you want new hires to tell their friends and family? And how will you guide uh, them towards having these things in the back of their head about a positive, again, experience. Um, how, you know, if you're thinking and trying to get in the heads of your recent hires, how do you think they would describe their experience? Another good question is in a perfect world, what would happen with your organization's onboarding program? You also want to get, of course, who, who are your greatest advocates? Who are the people that can actually commit to contributing to your onboarding program and how much time are they willing to commit 
and in what way. You will have people, the you know these you know, more extroverted people who really are excited to to get involved with the onboarding program, and they're they're peppered throughout the company. So find a way that you can start to identify these people who want to have some part in the onboarding process. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, executives only who are men- who are um, pairing up. You can have anyone within an organization to create a welcoming environment. Uh, and once that happens, then you can start to focus more on what do you want the new hires to know? What do you want them to do? Looking at the behaviors and those kinds of things. So if your onboarding program was truly effective, in other words, what would it look like? Um, and back to, oh, goodness gracious, I think Lee was mentioning this about with the, uh, the two-star general and that, that welcoming environment. It's easy. It's really easy for any kind of, you know, we have hierarchy in organizations. So it's easy for anyone to say, my employee this, my employee that. And again, we want to work on having adult to adult conversations in, in the workplace. And, you know, organizations have tried their best. They say, you know, there are associates and, and team members and, and there's different ways to call them. But it's, it's more about, I think, the, the master mindset of thinking this person isn't my employee. Um, you, you know, if they're super junior, you might say this this person is my I don't know what however you want to do it protege or or whatever it be or maybe you maybe you turn it on to you instead of this person is my you might say I'm a coach to this person or I'm an advocate for for this person so there's ways to do it but again it's self check questions um, and really how, how do you want them to experience what you're uh, not putting them through. That sounds a little forceful. How, how do you want them to experience what you're providing to them at the beginning of their career with your company? You know, this conversation is starting to take me down a path of, you know, it's really sort of the middle management who quite often is the person when someone's being onboarded, you know, it's sort of falling under their responsibility working with HR. But the management style that we have really sort of comes from the birth of the industrial revolution. You know, this is how you manage people. Uh, you know, thank goodness it's improved a lot <laughs> you know, in the last, you know, few hundred years. But we're now at a point where managers have to deal with virtual employees. That's a big, huge change. We're also now in a situation where the paycheck for most people is not the number one concern. It's that quality of life. It's what kind of experiences am I going to have? Am I going to be part of something working on a larger product that's going to benefit me and the rest of the world? Those are the kind of things that employees are looking for, but we still have a manager mindset, which is you show up to work, you do what I say, and then you leave. So maybe we need to re, you know, onboard managers to change this mindset that we really need. Uh, Devin, let's go to you. Thank you. So exactly on that note, Tom and Jeremy, tying in what you were saying, not everybody's meant to be a manager. That's why a lot of the support and the driving and the programs, and thank you, Linda Ann, for putting your documents in the chat because I opened them up and they're great, um, because it's walking the manager through exactly what you need to do at this time. Check in with this person. Ask them how they're doing. Set up your 90-day. Then for the rest of the year, what do you need to be doing and talking about feedback? And it's 
We can't obviously change the personality of managers, but we can change the behaviors. And for those of you that I've talked to before, that's like the phrase that I live by. And so it's like, okay, teach them how to be a good onboarder, teach them how to have the skills and, um, and help those employees feel um, like they're valued and, and what they're contributing matters. And I think, and Lee, that kind of ties in a lot of what you were saying too. It's like, yeah, maybe if you're not getting to know them on a personal level, but their work and their contributions are important and, and what they're doing is, is, you know, bettering the company. So that's where we need to, I think as HR and IO, we are the ones that have to teach a lot of the managers how to do this. So before you can even talk about the company's onboarding process, you really do have to work with those people who are going to be doing the onboarding first to make sure that they see things in a new way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I just want to piggyback on um, what Jeremy and um, Devin. Devin had had said, and that is as far as what you're communicating to the individual, it's not about really it's expanded from whatever they're sitting down at their desk doing or wherever they're standing in their job, right? One of the responsibilities that we as um, employers need to do now is to give them and really communicate well the bigger picture of the organization. What is the organization there to achieve as a whole? And you're a part of that. And so learning to, as a, a leader in the organization and that that communication is important and how do I integrate it into my performance is a real key in stepping out of that old management style and into the newer. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Renwick, let's go to you. Yeah, a couple of quick observations. Um, first on Jeremy's comment about introverts who are leaders and who may be uncomfortable engaging socially. Um, that is so true. And, and yet, um, we all know everyone has an opportunity to be a leader and is a leader at a particular moment or period in time. And, and so it's helpful to bring those individuals to describing or, or recalling when they did find comfort in interacting and, and have them hold on to that experience and bring it into the future for, for the purposes at hand, um, which include getting so much more done with and through others. Right, in spite of our limitations and flaws and weaknesses and idiosyncrasies, right? One of which happens to be for many of us introverted tendencies, right? But then the question becomes, how much do we care? And how much do you, Renick, the introvert, care? And if we care enough, then we go beyond our comfort levels to engage in caring ways, right? So so that's that's certainly one. And then the second quick observation is um to, to what was shared, um, Tom, regarding the, the models of management and leadership that have been brought forward into today's world where so many at all levels, all strata demographically um, have so much information, so much talent to contribute um, way above and beyond that of the leaders. <laughs> and and one, of the, one of the biggest opportunities I find in my work is for Leaders in their years of work and of having assumed titles and levels and responsibilities of leadership to step aside. I don't mean literally, 
but but acknowledge that they're dealing with so many people who have so much more insight, so much more talent, and can contribute so much more so quickly than they ever could imagine. And and getting to a place of putting aside ego and allowing those people to bloom and contribute in extraordinary ways. So it's a mindset and it it part of the work is getting us, many of us, to acknowledge that, yeah, the, 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 there's so much that has changed so quickly, and there is so much firepower in the minds and the energy of so many whom are not in necessarily positions of leadership, at least formally, that we should step aside and allow them. And the last point I'll make is the organizations that treat every single person and encourages every single person in it to be a leader are the ones that will outdistance the competition. Yeah, I agree 100%. And Jeremy reminds me, I think it's the, the line that you use is the job of leadership is to be the best advocate for your employee's success. Yep. And I think that, that is once again key. And I'm kind of getting to the point that I think it's going to become the new job of HR and IO to reimagine the way that work actually is done and the reimagine the way that organizations actually exist. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. So one of my biggest frustrations with especially being responsible for hiring and so forth and, and all the criteria that they and, and Devin can probably attest to some of this is they want, they want this unicorn that has these amazing experiences and stuff, but they won't get out of their way to do what they're really good at and what they were hired to do. And so my thing, and it's a, it's a real challenge for especially companies, you know, as they've gotten off the kitchen table and they've gone through that next level of growth, and now they're really getting to the point where they're expanding. And the leadership, um, especially the top leader, has always been like the smartest person in the room and so forth. And it's very difficult for them to get out of their own way in their organization and let it take on a life of its own. And that's a real challenge for the leadership and and let the, the people that they've been so meticulous about wanting to hire actually come to their full potential. So (laughs) in previous episodes, we've talked about the job description, not really accurate anymore. Um, And you know, the, and you, what you look at a job description, you get hired, you start doing the work, you find out that those two things aren't really coming together. And and now we're looking at, you know, leadership and onboarding. And and once again, it's sort of brings me to the point of, aren't we just doing this wrong? Aren't we just doing business wrong? Is there a better way to get that buy-in that we talk about, you know, that, that they really become advocates for the organization? And, and you know, hire, hiring somebody for a specific, you know, role and then not getting out of their way, I think is something that a lot of people experience. But once again, it goes down to, you know, leaders have to lead, and understand all these things. But, you know, Jeremy, there, there is that lag. You know, once again, I think you talked about the 17 years between research and implementation. We can't afford that right now. We can't wait 17 years for managers and leaders to get the information that we're sharing today. You know, if they want to succeed, if they want to move forward in this new paradigm that we're seeing, if they don't want to be, you know, economic 
ghosts on the landscape. They really need to start with this now. So how do we get to that point? For, you know, you talk about buy-in and I I think about buy-in for, of course, you know, the employees, but then the managers as well. And how do we get to that point? If you're, if you're, you know, if you're a hiring manager or, you know, you've just, you've got one or two or three, four new employees, Think about if you can give them, we cited that research a couple of podcasts ago about, um, you know, when a hiring manager spends the first like 15 minutes with someone within the first day, their productivity is increased for at least six months, something yeah. crazy like that. Um, so think about how many difficulties you have, you know, in this moment in time today, how, how, what are your, what are the difficulties that you have? Is it employees showing up late? Is it miscommunication? Is it uh, underappreciation? Is it a lack of respect? You know, whatever it is, but think about what if all those went away and you didn't have to worry about those and you could concentrate on what you love to do at work and, and different things like that, a way to make them go away. You know, there's ways to make them go away now, but now, but a way to make them go away in the future is for your employees that are coming on focus on their onboarding experience because you're going to do things that, you know, focus on make them feel good about themselves and help them grow. And then you can basically just smile as they cling to the organization and your department and all of their uh, extra energy that they have goes to you. So if you can just, you know, focus on some of the, this is smaller things, you make them feel good. It, it's, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of articles and a lot of books on, you know, there, there's a book, interesting book. It's called The Like Switch. It's by an FBI guy. But the, the key, number one key is if you can make people feel good about themselves, that's how you get people to like you. And of course, if you're if you're leading a team, you may you may not be the kind of person that says, I need everyone to like me. You may be the person that says, I don't care if anyone likes me, but you still need people to at least like, like and, and respect you in some combination to have an effective team that's, that's productive. So think about these different things that, that you can do in that regard. And as far as buying for the employee, I don't know, uh, you know, who can say I've been hired to an organization and they, all they kept asking me was, Hey, what was the talent that got you here? What are your accomplishments? What do you think got you hired? What are you excited to, to do within the organization? Let's talk about your development plan. How many employees say that yet? How many, and, and additionally, how many employees would say they won't stop bugging me about it? That would be a good problem to have. They won't stop bugging you about like, hey, what are you really good at? What are you really great at? What do you love to do? What did you, what did you when you came to the organization, what did you have in mind? After your first week, what did you have in mind? So again, it goes back to what we're talking about here with you know getting out of the way. It is, it's a, it's a dance, right? Enough getting out of their way, but also knowing again, how to not do it too much so that it's not this laissez-faire, you know, do whatever you want kind of leadership, especially for the people that are in those roles that require a little more knowledge, et cetera. So how do we do that? I think it's a combination of self-check questions. It's a matter of people saying, what's in it for me? If I do this now, what problems that I'm experiencing now will be taken away later on. Uh, Let me ask you something, because we've been talking about what companies need to do. Is there anybody out there right now who's doing onboarding well? 
Devin Devin, is. Devin's company is doing a fantastic (laughs) job. I have to like give myself some credit. I've been working really hard. It's like through the pandemic and like helping people feel included and valued and that they matter. Like that's, that's what it boils down to. And, um, and getting the skills and resources that they need. But I'm also at an organization that has the resources and the money to do it, to spend the money. And I think I'm for, I'm fortunate for that reason, because I can ask for a training program and I get help in developing it. And so it's, it's where can we build on that onboarding and feeling included and valued at the places that might not have the resources. And, and that's where I think we as all as practitioners need to share that. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And while this hour has flown by uh, and Jeremy, we've only got a few minutes left. Uh, we've got our community town hall next week, right? We do next Tuesday at 11 AM Eastern time. It's our IO psychology community town hall chance for IOs to get together. Uh, we're going to talk about pretty much everything that matters now, everything that's going to matter. Uh, hopefully it's action item based. How can we start to, solve some of the challenges, maybe a couple of side cohorts groups get come out of it to, to work on a, some extra things uh, to help improve and to move the field forward. We're going to talk about everything from problems in the workplace, graduate program stuff, and the future of the IO field and IO branding. So for that community and belonging, um, cboc.com slash events and get your ticket today. And the next 30, we're going to be looking at identifying and defeating counterproductive work behaviors. I think yes. I'll be taking notes on that one. <laughs> yeah. Even though we don't have any, none of us have counterproductive work behavior. We're going to talk about it, identifying and defeating them. So I'm sure that will be a pretty interesting one as well. And um, lastly, if you're a, if you're a faculty member or program director or no one at a university, and you think that your students could use a resource for their IO career, or even some of their current studies, Get in contact with one of us. Um, we've got a, uh, we want to provide an introduction to our IO Career Pathfinder program. Um, we've already got a couple of universities involved and we want to get more to help fill in some of the gaps. Great. Um, well, with that, Jeremy, I think our time is up. If you want to count us up, we'll see everybody next week. Thank you, everyone. Wonderful, wonderful time today. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com. <laughs> <laughs>